But this morning I want to start us off with something that just kind of irks me, something that frustrates me, if you don't know what the word irk means. Um, and I mean, it really gets under my skin. Have you guys ever watched a sports game? Or you look at somebody who's really good at making stuff, like really good at making stuff, or decorating a room or whatever it may be. And you wonder, it's like, how in the world did they do that? Like, how in the world did they come up with this thing in their head and then give life to it? Or how does somebody throw a baseball 100 miles an hour? I mean, it's crazy. And I mean, I like to think, me personally, that I'm pretty good at some stuff. Um, I feel like I play guitar halfway decent. You know, I feel like I sing okay. Um, I feel like I know music pretty well and, and like all the theory behind music and all that stuff. At least I hope I do, or else y'all made a really bad hiring decision. <laughs> I mean, come on, y'all can laugh. It's fine. I'm laughing my misery. Um, I, I played baseball back in the day, and I was, I was okay. Um, you know, I wasn't the fastest pitcher or the best hitter or anything, but I made the school team. I played a couple of years, so, you know, I must be all right, I guess. Um, when I was younger, I could build Legos like nobody's business. I'm telling you, y'all should have seen some of the stuff I came up with. It would blow your mind. And I probably shouldn't admit this, but for my, my teenagers and my college students that play video games in here, um, I was number one in the world at a video game for a short, part, short period of time. And yeah, you can laugh at how much of a nerd I am. I probably shouldn't have admitted that in front of a church full of people, but here we are. If I can't be up here and be transparent, then why would y'all even listen to anything I have to say, right? But while there's some things I'm good at, there's a ton of stuff that I am just terrible at. Um, and I mean really, really, really bad. And there's probably things that you think I'm terrible at. And I would just ask you to keep those opinions to yourself. I've already self-destructed my ego in front of you already. I don't know if I can mentally take much more. Okay, so keep it to yourself. So I, wanna, I want you all to, to turn your attention to the screen real quick. Speaking of things I'm terrible at, you put a paintbrush in my hand, you'll be lucky to get a stick figure. You put a paintbrush in Michelangelo's hand, and you get the Sistine Chapel. Beautiful, right? You put a golf club in my hand, I'm going to hit it like a baseball off the tee box. So we'll be lucky if I get it 100 yards down the fairway and straight. It's not going to be straight. I can go ahead and tell you that. But you put a golf club in John Rahm's hand, and he wins the Masters. Look at that guy you got to know you're good. <clears throat> if you put a football in my hand, it's just fun in the backyard with my kids. You put a football in Tom Brady's hand, each one of those rings re represents a Super Bowl, mind you. So he's the man. And finally, if you put a basketball in my hand, it's either going to do one of two things. It's going to brick or it's going to be an air ball. But you put a basketball in the goat's hands, Michael Jordan. Come on. He's the man. 
I mean, goodness gracious. So what's the difference between me and Michael Jordan? Or any of the folks that we talked about? They consistently practiced the right way. They were dedicated. And a lot of people want to say, well, practice makes perfect. That's not true. Perfect practice makes perfect. You've got to make sure you're practicing the right things. Right? And so he did that. And the fruits of his labor, of his commitment and sacrifice, produced the results that he wanted. And ultimately produced what we know as probably the greatest basketball player of all time. Probably one of the greatest athletes of all time. So my question to you guys today is this. After just self-destructing my ego in front of you all. Are you practicing the right things in your faith journey this morning? Are you where you want to be in your relationship with Christ? Are you certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're saved? Do you have that blessed assurance in your heart that you know where you're going to be? Are you knowing and walking with him daily? Are you seeing the fruits of a faith that is rooted and walking with Jesus daily? Or did you just say yes for fire insurance? Do you live for yourself six days of the week and give Jesus about two hours on Sunday? Whose hand do you find yourself in this morning? You find it in the hand of the one who created it all? Or you find it in the hand of the person that wants to watch you fall? And don't hear me as being self-righteous up here, because I promise you I ain't got it all together. I probably ain't got it right half the time. And that's just me being honest with you. So I want us to wrestle with that idea a little bit this morning. So you can take your Bible, or it'll be up on the screen, but you can take your Bible. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 15 through 23. All right. Starting in verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at, the, at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now... That you have been set free from sin 
and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all probably don't know that. Is that a Methodist thing? I don't know. Might be a Methodist thing. One thing that's important about Scripture, the study of any text, is to recognize the context in which it's written. I see it time and time again where people want to just cherry-pick verses out of the Bible to justify things that they're doing, right? You can't remove it from its context. You have to, you have to study it in, in the same like, kind of area, so to speak, right? So the argument that Paul is making to us now is actually a continuation of the argument that we studied last week in verses 1 through 14. And I want to quickly just kind of recap that. So we're all on the same page. So he, he says that we who have been baptized with Jesus were also baptized into his death, but we are also resurrected with him into a newness of life as he was resurrected. Hence why when we were, when we were baptized, you know, our old self is symbolically dunked, immersed under the water, and when we come up, it's, we're a new creation. That's what that symbolizes. The old self is dead and the new is immersed. But also in the same way that Christ, as Christ defeated sin, we too have the power of sin over in our lives. And that doesn't mean that we're never going to sin again, but it does mean that we're given power by the Holy Spirit to not be bound by it. And Paul says, finally, um, in that section, not let sin, to not let sin reign in our bodies, but to offer every part as an instrument of righteousness because sin is no longer our master and we're not under the law anymore but under grace. So that's what he talked about before. So now that we're caught up, the first thing that Paul says, back in verse 15, what then are we to sin because we're not under law but under grace? By no means. And I think that he does this because he's trying to... Now remember, he's writing these letters to the churches in Rome and that they're supposed to be disseminated amongst the members and is supposed to be used as teaching for them. So we can learn from them in this. What he's trying to tell them is that, well, just because you're under grace now, that doesn't mean you go out and do what you want. You don't have a license to commit sin just because you want to. And what we want to think as Christians is, well, I'm not under the law anymore. There's grace upon grace upon grace, so I'm just going to do what I want. Jesus died for my sins, past, present, future. So I'm forgiven, and I'm good. I'm just going to do what I want. And that's true. He did die for your sins. That is true. But look at what Paul says. He says, are we to sin because we're not under the law but grace? No. Why? Why is this important? Should we just stop sinning because Paul says so? Because before you came to Christ, you didn't have any rules, did you? You could do whatever you wanted. You were free from righteousness. Paul says in verse 20, when we were slaves to sin, we were free in regard to righteousness. And can we just be honest this morning? Sin feels pretty good, doesn't it? 
I think we can be honest. You don't have to raise your hand or nothing, but I think we can be honest that sometimes sin feels pretty good. It does. And us as humans, we don't like rules. We don't like to be stuffed in a box and given structure and say, this is how you have to do this and this and this and this. This is how you have to behave. From our youngest memories, we can probably remember that. We don't like rules. We like having the freedom to do what we want when we want it. And I like to think that most people don't run up their credit card bills because they like debt, right? But they continue to buy and they continue to spend. Why? Because it feels good to get what you want, doesn't it? It feels good to get what you want. Feels good whenever I, I look at a guitar for like six months and I see it on a super deal and I get it. It feels real good. But here's the thing it's fleeting. That pleasure that you get from sin, it's gone just as fast as you experienced it. And then what happens? You want more and more and more. And it becomes this endless cycle, doesn't it? And we find ourselves trapped into it, and we don't realize it a lot of the time until we're already there. Sin has a hidden cost. And sin likes to bring its twin brothers around with it. Shame and consequence. And that's the part we don't like to hear. We want to do what we want without the consequence. Right? Right? Yeah, you can run that credit card bill up. You can keep pushing that limit up every time they come around and say, hey, you got $5,000 more to spend. Great, I know where that's going. Amen. But what happens when you don't have the money to pay it back? And you continue to accrue interest. And it keeps building and building and building. Now what? You're a slave to the lender, are you not? And you can keep drinking, smoking, doing drugs, whatever it is. But what happens when you become addicted and you can't stop? You can get behind the wheel, hurt somebody, hurt yourself, ruin your life. Harm yourself in your own body. What does the word say about our bodies? 1 Corinthians 3, 16 through 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And I could keep going on with the different sins. Lust. Coveting your neighbor, all those types of things. But I think y'all kind of get the point, right? Yeah, Jesus did die for our sins. That's true. But he didn't remove us from the consequence of what happens when we let sin reign in our life and be our master. Following the ways of sin leads to the enslavement of sin. That leads to never being satisfied. 
which leads to shame, which leads to consequence. And then ultimately, what's the payoff of sin? Death. It's death. So we want to live the way we want to and we expect God to give us favor. It's not really how that works, is it? Paul wants to make it clear to us today, and I want you to not miss this. We're all slaves to something. We're all slaves to something. We're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to God. But there's not a middle ground. There's no lukewarm in the kingdom of heaven. So either God is the Lord of your life or sin is the Lord of your life. It can't be both. Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And in this instance, Jesus was talking about money. You can't serve God and money. But for us, I want you to hear this today. You can't serve God and love sin. You can't. So you might be thinking to yourself, all right, well, if we're free from sin, we live under grace, what's next? What happens after we accept Jesus? What, what do we do after that? Are we supposed to just try really hard not to sin and just wait until Jesus returns? No. Jesus' purpose for coming was not just to save us for our sin so we could just wait around and do nothing. He saved us to something. He saved us from sin, but he saved us to something. And you might be asking, well, what is that? He saved us to live a sanctified, abundant life that proclaims the good news and makes disciples. A life that honors God, that lives a radical faith and is the hands and feet of Jesus. A life that doesn't look anything like themselves, but models Jesus to everybody. A life of service and a life of sacrifice that puts their neighbor above themselves and their God above all else. That's what Jesus saved us to do. Man, can you just imagine with me what our churches would look like if we lived like that? If we practiced what we preach, amen? If we all became slaves to God, man, that would be a beautiful picture. We might look something like the first church going around, selling everything we owe, taking care of the poor, healing the sick. It might look a little something like that. And if that's your desire this morning, to be a slave to God, then you made the right choice. Amen. Yeah, you had freedom in sin. 
But that freedom is never truly free. It has a cost. Freedom in Jesus has a cost. And the cost is obedience. Your life is not your own anymore. So what does obedience look like in the life of a Christian? And I'm going to get really technical here. Maybe use some high-level Christian words and stuff like that. No. No. Obedience is this. Following the gospel. Following the gospel. It's that simple. <laughs> Read his word and do what it says. It's not hard. But we make it hard, don't we? I told you I was really technical. But hey, as we follow the gospel and we seek to become more like Jesus, we sow seeds of righteousness and we begin to experience the favor of God, the blessing, the guidance, the protection. That's what his favor is. We begin to hear his voice and we have that calm assurance that he's with us and guiding us every step of the way and protecting us always, that nothing can happen to us that is apart from his divine purpose. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. His purpose, not our own. Because separated from God, we're aimless. But in his favor, we have purpose. And I want to make one thing clear. When I'm talking about blessing, I'm not talking about this whole like prosperity type gospel, okay? Don't hear that from me. Because some of the most favored people in the Bible experienced the toughest trials. Job, anybody? Daniel? Noah? Moses? Abraham? But as we continue to dive into our relationship and following the gospel and seeing that favor, we begin to take notice of the blessings of God that we took for granted before. And our spirits become renewed. And we begin to bear fruit and people take notice. They say, well, what's different about him? What's different about her? Our attitudes begin to change. And our hearts begin to change. And little by little, the old self melts away and becomes something different. When you're a slave to sin, it leads to death. But when you're a slave to God, your life changes forever. You begin to do things that you never thought would be possible. And you sit back and you see God work and you're just like, how did you do that? And suddenly everything we thought that was so important from a worldly perspective is real small. And that process that I'm talking about is called sanctification. You may have heard it before. And that just means that we become more holy, more like Jesus, 
set apart for his kingdom. We're set apart in the same way that Jesus set himself apart and was sent for the purposes of fulfilling the Father's will. If you look on the screen, John 17, 18 through 19 says, and this is Jesus talking, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. So as we look back into the text, back in Romans 6, I want to go down to verse 20. And I want to kind of tie this all back together. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin, you've become slaves of God. And that fruit and favor we just talked about leads to sanctification, and it's in eternal life. What is the end of a life that is committed to God? It's life eternal. There is no end. What is the end of a life that's enslaved to sin? Death. And not just physical death. Spiritual death. So my question to you today is this. Whose hand do you find yourself in? Is it the hand of sin? Or is it the hand of righteousness? Is it the hand of sin... Or the hand of righteousness. And I want to encourage you today that as we've wrestled with this, and I hope you have, and I hope you've thought about this and reflected on this as we've talked about it, that if you have found yourself in the hand of sin, don't lose hope. You're never too far gone. All you have to do is this. Just fall on your face before God and ask Him to give you the power and the wisdom to root out sin in your life. To identify those areas you need to prune away and the courage to repent and do it. And the key word is repent. Turn away and don't go back. Don't let sin be your master anymore. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek His word and obey what it tells you to do. Find a small group of folks that will love on you, that will encourage you, that will help keep you accountable, that will disciple you. Find somewhere and serve. Give back. Doesn't matter where. We have a billion different ministries you can get involved in. From children's to media to welcome team, you name it, we probably got somewhere we can plug you in. 
But don't just stay idle. Idle hands are the work of the devil. Put your faith to work. Put your belief into action. If we say we're a Christian, all right, get up and do the things that a Christian would do. Because there's no either or. There's no following God for a little while and then going back to sin and following God for a little while and going back to sin. You make your choice. And if you've been walking with God for a while, I encourage you to give back and disciple somebody. Help lead somebody else. Teach a Sunday school class. Do something. Sin wants to keep you bound in chains this morning. But Jesus wants to set you free. So whose hand are you in? Only you can make that choice.